morning. Morning. How are you guys this morning? If uh, you're here for the first time, you know who you are. We welcome you. We'd like you to feel at home, and if there's anything that you need to find out about this fellowship, uh, please come and see us. Um, my name is Danny, that's in song there, and all of us here are ready to answer questions that you have that may be bothering you about this fellowship. We are Christ Commission Fellowship, and we're all about discipleship. This morning, I'm going to take a look at two passages, and the message for us will revolve around this message. The first one is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and here Jesus is speaking. And Jesus said, I will build my church on this rock. The power of death will not be able to defeat my church. And then in Proverbs 19, verse 18, from the New American Standard Bible, it says, where there is no vision, the people, what? Are unrestrained. They perish. Where there is no vision, the people will perish. In fact, in the message, it's more, it's clear. If people can see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. And so this morning, I'm just going to talk about something that God has impressed upon my heart so deep that I cannot continue doing what I'm doing unless I share it with you. I've been impacted by a vision that has been impressed upon me by one of the leaders, the leaders of, of a big church. And it gripped my heart so much that it changed the way I looked at the rest of my life. And that started as early as this year. And, uh, you know, we are a very happy church. Last night, we were at the party. And we were singing, Paro Parong Bukid. We are such a happy church. And I love that. Don't you love that? Amen. Guys, don't you love that? Those of you who were at the party last night, you know, everybody was invited, but, you know, it was just too far away that you need a passport to get there. <laughs> and, you know, not everybody got there, okay? But the people who were there were just so happy. We were so blessed. We were singing. Golly, it was one, one happy church. But you know what, CCF? More than just being happy, more than just being happy, we'd rather be a church that Jesus builds. Amen? Amen? It's nice to be happy. I love to be happy. But let's not miss the point. We, can, we, should, we ought to be happy, yes. But we, know, we, we cannot forget that we ought to be first and foremost a gathering of people who believe in Jesus. And that we are a gathering that Jesus will build up. Because he said it himself. What did he say? I will build my church on this rock and the power of death will not be able to defeat my church. I'd like, I'd like to tell you that Jesus himself has one focus in his mind. He came, he came into this world to die for us. And he came into this world for that purpose, to build us to build his church. And that's his focus. Single-minded focus. And I'd like you to keep that in the back of your mind as we talk about the message that God has for us this morning. The church that Jesus builds 
is that church that is biblical. The church that Jesus builds is a church that is biblical, meaning it is built upon Jesus' specs. You know what I'm trying to say? You know, many people today, many churches today are building churches according to many other standards. I like it this way. I like it that way. I like the songs to be this way. I like the color of the carpet to be this way. You know, they have all sorts of standards that's not, that's not even biblical. And what we want to talk about this morning is if we are going to be a church that Jesus will build, folks, we are not just going to be happy. We are more than that going to be biblical. We should be built according to the way Jesus wanted it built. Amen? Amen. A biblical church, wow, will be happy, yes. But it will be healthy. It will be growing. It will be a church that will be blessed by Jesus. Therefore, it should be healthy and it should be growing. What else? The power of death cannot or the power of hell cannot control it. It will just keep on growing and impacting people over and over again, and it will be unstoppable. That will be the biblical church, the church that God will bless. And CCFLA, hello, CCFLA, we must be that biblical church. No less. One that will be healthy against the power of hell and death. You know why? Because a biblical church will be healthy and growing. No less. Bringing hope to our hurting and helpless world. I will repeat that. It will be healthy and growing bringing hope to our hurting and helpless world. Folks, unless you see that, we will fail as a church. Unless you see this picture that you and I have a role to play, that you and I have a... a, a a critical role and we are bringing hope to our hurting and helpless world believe me we will fail because the truth is the biblical church is the only hope of our hurting world and who is the church say that with me louder please you are right we are and if we are the church can you say it to each other you are the hope of the world. Come on, say it. Mean it with all of your heart. You are the hope of the world. Yeah, you! Okay? Point it right there. You are the hope of the world. Brother, you are the hope of the world. And this world is hurting. And I repeat, unless and until we embrace this statement, Unless and until we embrace this statement, we will not become a biblical church that God will build. Today we'll be here, tomorrow we'll be gone. You know, as I speak, I hurt for the many other churches that are hurting today. There are so many churches that were about 200, 300, 2 or 3 years ago, or even 10 years ago, now they run into the tens and the fifteens. Why? That was not their intention. They just wanted to do what, what they were supposed to do, but there was a failure in communicating who we really are. Failure to see a vision. Until and unless we see and accept the statement that we are the hope of the world, CCF, we will be unbiblical and we will soon drift away from what kind of church that God wants us to be. I don't want that to happen to us, do you? I don't want that. And that's why I am, I am 
I am pouring my heart out. I want you to see who we are in the eyes of Jesus, in the eyes of God. We are the hope of the world. And if you and I, you and I see that, I think you will have reason to believe that I am willing to go to discipleship. I'm willing to be accountable. You know, Pastor In Song talked about accountability last week, the benefits of accountability. What is the point of being accountable to each other if you don't know what you're doing it for? What is the point of growing in Christ's likeness if you don't know what's it for? You know, you know what I'm saying? But if you know that you need to be accountable because you and I need to be the kind of Christians we ought to be, that will impact the world. Why? Because we are the hope of the world. Without us, without you, the people around you may just perish. But because of us, they may have hope. And if that's running in your heart, believe me, you can go to discipleship and you can go to accountability even if it's painful. Yes or no? Because you know you know it will bring you somewhere to a point of delivering a wonderful and powerful message to the world out there. Unless and until we see that we are the hope of the world, we will not be biblical. We will be a church that will be loveless, a church that will be lifeless, a church that will be powerless, and might as well call it hopeless. And folks, that is what most people, most Christians feel today. And I'd like to repeat and remind us that it should not be the case because the biblical church is the only hope of the hurting world. We are full of hope. We are not hopeless. And again, unless and until you embrace this vision, we will fail. I don't like us to fail. I don't, li I don't like us to, to be another church that will be here today and gone tomorrow. Many people are saying this to the church. Many people will not agree with us. Many people will not agree with me. In fact, if I shout this out the street and tell them, hey, the church is the hope of the world, you know what they will say? You're right. Nah, -uh. the hope is not and cannot be the uh, the church is not and cannot be the hope of the world. I mean, just look at the churches today; they're empty. How can you tell me that the church is the hope of the world when they're empty? In fact, they're dividing ever so constantly. You know, Baptist one, Baptist two, Baptist three, Baptist four. Okay, Episcopal one, Episcopal two, etc., etc. You know. First Baptist, second Baptist, uh, original. Uh, you know, I, I, I cannot understand that. You know, they keep dividing and dividing until they're so small, they disappear. And if you ask people around you, will they say that the, hope, that the church is the hope of the world? Absolutely not. There are so much critics today, so much critics and cynics, believe me. What do they say? You, you Christians are nuts. You're too unrealistic. And I, I can't understand why you're saying that. You're out of this world. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. The reality is this. Most churches today are what? Divided. They have issues. They have become loveless. They have become powerless, lifeless, and yes, like I said, hopeless. The tragedy is, and this is the real tragedy, and I'm looking at you Christians right now. The real tragedy is, if I'm not mistaken, Maybe some of you, some of you are part of this growing number of Christians who believe that the hope, the church is hopeless. <laughs> and you're just here because, you know, I have to be here. My wife pulls me here every day. I have to be here because I have to be accountable to someone, okay? And, you know, they, I, don't, I don't want them talking, okay? I, you know, and you know what, honestly? Hopeless. You know, guys... If we have a mindset like this, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. What you think will happen, and we will become what? The laughing stock of the world. We will be hopeless. And CCF, 
wake up. Those of you who are sleeping right now, I can see you, okay? Wake up. We need to own a powerful vision of a biblical church. You know why? Because this is the warning. The warning is this, Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. The people will perish. You know, it's not they will die. No. You know, the people will be unrestrained. The people will just go about doing things that don't matter. Have you ever seen someone who's, got, who's been gripped by a powerful vision? Have, have you seen a person like that? Or, okay, let's put it this way. When you were young and you saw a beautiful lady and, you know, you had a vision of, wow, marrying this lady into the future, okay? Can you imagine how powerful that vision is? Right? Right? Right, Bo? I mean, you know, when you saw Deng, how beautiful Deng was, right? And you were so, you were so energized. The way you walk is, mm, I'm going to get this girl, man. Mm, mm. Okay? You know? But if you don't have any vision at all, and you have no interest whatsoever, how do you walk? But stroll, stroll long. I mean, guys, without a vision, you and I will perish. Trust me. You, when you were growing up, young people, I, when I was growing up, I, was, I, I had a powerful vision. My vision was very simple. I did not want to become poor. I just want to become rich, and I did everything possible to make that happen. I'm not rich now, but I'm not poor. But I was gripped by that vision, and everything that I did was towards that vision. It excited me. It made me alive. Without a vision, we will perish. If people cannot see what God is doing, and that's what I want you to see this morning, what God is doing, we will stumble all over ourselves. You know, I don't want us to be preoccupied with many other things that are not important. It's all about this, guys. It's all about discipleship. It's all about being Christ-like. It's all about being biblical as the first century church was. And that's why I want you to see a vision of the future. And that vision of the future is no less than the church is the hope of the world. You and I are the hope of the world. You know, a vision is powerful. Without vision, the people will perish. You know, there was a pastor. I won't tell you what his name is for fear that I might embarrass him. The pastor thought that God gave him a vision. He was so excited. And he was so excited, he wanted to, to, to present to his board what he saw. He saw something that in the present today, it's something that he doesn't like. It's so undesirable. And he saw a future that was so desirable, and he thought God gave it to him. And so he decided to call for a meeting of the board. And he started, you know, and with, with all of the passion, with all of the plea, he called his elders and told them about his vision. At the end of the meeting, the, the head of the elder looked at the pastor and said, well, you know, pastor, uh, we don't think we like your idea and your vision. Okay, we voted, and it's 12 to 1. Okay, 12 of us against you, only one. Okay, so the pastor was disappointed and not wanting to give up. He said, okay, why don't we close this meeting in prayer since you don't want my vision? So he closed in prayer. And he said, he prayed with all of his heart. He said, he lifted up his hands and he prayed, Oh Lord, he said, I know that my brothers do not have the same vision as I have. Please have them see, have them see that this is not my vision, but it is your vision. He prayed like that. And after he prayed, wow, thunder and lightning came. And it hit the room. And the the table where they were meeting was divided. Okay? 
And then, you know, when there was a lot of, of, of debris and all of these things, one of the, uh, the, the head of the board of elders dusted himself up and said, well, okay, pastor, it's now 12 to 2. It's now 12 against 2. So you still don't win. You see, people are like that. Even though God is already at work and showing many things, people still see their own visions and not God's vision. What is a vision? A vision is a picture of the present. Picture it this way. A, pic a vision is a picture of the present and then a picture of the future. The present is here and the future is there. A vision will give you a picture of, of today that is not acceptable. Okay? Like, for example, you know, you don't like what you're going through right now as a person. You'd like to do better, okay? That is your present. And then you conjure a picture of the future which is there, and it's tomorrow, and it's such a beautiful picture. Today I'm single and lonely. Tomorrow I'll be happy with children, you know? Right! That is a picture of, of there. You are not happy with the present, which you might consider as lifeless, hopeless, powerless. That is a picture of the church today, perhaps. But you are picturing a picture that's there. And you see life. You see love. You see power. And you see hope. And that vision is powerful. Vision creates a passion in the people to move from here to there. You know what I'm saying? And, and if we don't develop that vision, believe me, we will not be able to be the kind of biblical church that God wants us to be. And I would like to share with you the experience of this man whose vision of the church impacted me and impacted many leaders of the churches today to even repent and do what they're supposed to do. His name is Bill Hybel. How many of you have heard of Bill Hybels? Okay, I'm sure you've heard of Bill Hybels. You know, and, and this guy, you know, saw, okay, this guy saw the present as the church being lifeless, being loveless, powerless, and plain and simple hopeless. You know why? Because when he was growing up, you know, when he was growing up, he, he, he was sharing. He was a junior high school, and he was in the car with his dad. And, you know, he, of course, at that point in time, really regarded the church as hopeless. And his dad was telling a story of his business friend whose wife was dying of cancer. And he told, you know, he told uh, Bill Heibel, the dad said, you know what? My friend, my friend is so shaken up and he's so discouraged by what's happening with his wife. And you know what? I, I, thought, of, I thought of bringing him to church you know, he doesn't, he, he, he doesn't know God that much, and I thought of bringing him to church. And you know what Bill Heibel said, junior high school? He said, please, Dad, don't do that. Don't bring him to church. You know why? Because whatever small spark that is in the heart of that man will be extinguished by our church in 60 minutes, he said. Wow, how, how tragic, wasn't it? And then he said, please, please, don't bring that man to our church. That was his mindset. You know why? Because his picture of the church is what? Hopeless. Helpless. And then this Bill Heibel, this, this great man Bill Heibel, as different as he is today, had something to say. And he said something like this when he was growing up. Look at this. He said he never publicly said this, but privately he held this in his spirit. You know what did he say? In my adult years, he said, I will be as minimally engaged with the local church as I can possibly be, but still go to heaven, okay? You know, isn't that the mindset of many of us? You know, I will not be as involved in the church, but I still would like to go to heaven. You know why? Because you are not excited about the church at all. You have no option. You have no idea where you want to be, and you just stay there with your shoulders like this without any hope. And you know what happened? 
something happened in the life of this Bill Hybel because he started to see a vision. And that vision was given to him when he was in Bible college in the Trinity Bible School when his professor talked to him about the early church. His present picture of a lifeless, loveless, powerless, hopeless church changed. Okay? Why? Because he was given the picture of the first century church and how powerful it was. Last Friday in the Rosemead group, we talked about this. Those of you at the Rosemead group, you know this. We talked about this. We said, can you describe the first century church and what they were doing? And we were all so excited. Everybody was contributing and they were saying, oh, the early church did this and the early church did that. And it was just wonderful. You know, the professor said, once upon a time, guys, you know, once upon a time, there was a powerful gathering that was radically different. They were radically dedicated to God. They fell in love with God so much. They were so filled with the Spirit that they changed and put the world around them on fire. They, they were eating together. They were studying the Word together. They were loving one another. And they were just full of power and life. That was the early church. And and Bill Heibel was there sitting in the end of the row and his professor was telling that this happened before. And let me ask you, he said, is the same God that was present in the first century church the same God who is alive today? Yes or no? And he said in his mind, yes. And it, if it's the same God who made that church, is it possible that that same church can exist today? And he said in his heart, yes, it can. And you know what? He was never the same. Because he saw that a church like that can make a difference in this dying world then. His mind changed. He saw a vision of the future that was different. He saw a church. The Bible says that there was once upon a time a church that existed in a spirit-led radical way. It rocked and changed the world by offering hope and salvation to the people around them. It was a gathering like no other seen before. People were being saved. People were repenting and coming to God. Gathering exponentially, God made that church grow and building it up the way he said he will build his church. That happened. But as we look around, the church are powerless and lifeless. People are moving from one group to another, searching for something that they cannot find. And you know what? If we do not do our jobs as you're the leaders of this church and give you a vision that we are the hope of the future, I will not be surprised if you walk out of this place and go to another church and look for something that you're looking for, but you cannot find. Our prayer is we stop right here. We stop right here and share that vision that we are the hope of the world and we can make a difference like those first century Christians made a difference. We can. Together we can. Individually we can. We can be a community and a gathering where the word, the gospel, continues to cut deep into the hearts of people, causing people to change and to repent. The reason why you are here is because once upon a time, the church intervened in your life, yes or no? And the reason why you're here is because the Word of God keeps cutting deep into our hearts to change us and make us be the kind of church we ought to be. And folks, it was the first century church that Jesus built, that Jesus started, that He built and blessed. Everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit as they continually devoted themselves to the study of the Word and to prayer. Miracles and wonders were happening through the apostles all over as they proclaimed the bold, single-minded message that Jesus has risen and you better repent and he can change your life forever. They met together day to day, most of the time, and they were sacrificially giving and loving one another, bearing each other's burden. They were even willing to sell their properties and share it with someone who does not have. Okay? I'm not looking at you to sell your properties and give it to the people here. No, I'm not saying that. 
But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and God will grip you, I guarantee you. You know, I think, I think uh, Pe Peter is already considering selling his house, okay? Buying a new one, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. You know, share each other's burden. What else? They were growing as more and more people joined their living, loving, powerful gathering and their lives were changing. You know what? Bill Heibel saw this. From, please don't bring, don't bring that, that, that friend of yours to church. All of a sudden, he saw, wow, there is hope. And I can be a part of that hope because I can start building that church. There was love, faith, humility, and unity in that church. And it sure looked like the church that could be the hope of the world then. Bill Heibel saw that. And his life changed forever. You know, Bill Heibel is a senior pastor and the founder of, of, of Willow Creek. And today, Willow Creek has an association. And I, I promise you, all of you, we are CCF. We are part of this, this, this community right now. We participate in the leadership development that Bill Heibel started. And it's my commitment to you as one of your leaders that I will get all of this materials that we're learning and communicate it to you so that you can be the kind of healthy leaders that you should be. Above the GLC, I commit to train you, all of you, to become the kind of leaders that will have a vision for the future to be the hope of this country, to be the hope of this world. Bill Heibel saw that, and he was never the same. You know, he was never the same. And then he said, Something happened to him at the San Juan Puerto Rico effort, airport rather, that changed his life forever. 45 minutes, he was waiting for his flight to go back to Chicago. He was in San Juan Puerto Rico airport. And this is what happened. He related it and that was the game changer of his life. His life was never the same. He was sitting there, reading his newspaper, waiting for his flight. And then he saw two boys, almost like Enrique and Emilio, okay? Two boys on the side. And they were like squabbling and fighting and squabbling and fighting. And then from the corner of his eye, he saw, okay, the bigger boy, maybe the nine-year-old boy, you know, wind up like this and, you know, hit the face of the younger boy, seven-year-old. It hit him right in the head here. And then he fell on the floor and there was a thud, okay? And then he, he was shocked and he said, hey, who's going to stop this? He stood up. He said, who's going to stop this? He was looking. Who are, who are the parents of this kid? Nobody was listening. Everybody was just doing what they were doing. And he was the one who rushed to the boy. By the time he rushed to the boys, okay, the nine-year-old boy was hitting the head of the young boy on the floor and he was bleeding already. Okay? So what did he do? He pulled. He pulled the boy and he was kicking and screaming and you know, he pulled him away. And at that point, okay, he could not do anything. And then the, the officials of the airport just came and say, are you Bill Hybels? He said, yes, your plane is waiting for you. You have to go now. I said, I don't want to go until somebody takes care of this situation here. And he said, we will, we will take care of that. Long story short, he went into his plane, he sat down there, and he could not, he could not, he could not really get the picture out of his, out of his mind. He could not take the picture out of his mind. The vision Heibel saw was the game changer of his life. He was seated there on the, on the plane, trying to change the channels and everything. He was trying to get his mind off, but God wouldn't let him. A vision stuck. And what led to the vision? The vision, what led to the vision with this? Heibel pondered. He was thinking and he saw the heart of the boy. Hurt and angry. And he asked the question, what could possibly happen to this boy if this boy is left unattended? He pictured that in his mind. His heart was gripped. He could not believe, you know, he left the boy bleeding and he did not know what will happen to that boy. And he asked, he, 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 he looked at the heart of the boy. What? What's happening with this boy? How come he was so hurt and he was so angry? And what could possibly happen to this boy? You know, he pictured two things. Number one, 
this boy will continue to be as bad as he was. And one of these days, he was going to pick not only a stone, but even a gun to be able to kill someone. Yes? Because he's hurt, he's angry, and he can do anything. And he can possibly go to jail, right? And he will, he will, he will go out, but he will do bad things all over again. And he will just be deeper and deeper into the hole, and nothing is going to help this boy except what is going on in his heart. And then he asked himself the question, is it possible that we can intervene in the life of this boy and make this boy possibly even repent? Change. Go graduate and even marry and have a good life. Is that possible? He said, yes. Yes, it's possible. But it's not going to be possible without anyone intervening into the life of this boy, he said. You know, he was gripped, and he was never the same. He saw life trajectories. I shared this with you in the past. He said, if we're not going to intervene, that boy will keep on sinning and sinning. And his life trajectory is headed for the same thing over and over again, which you call sin and which you call hell. That guy is going to die. He's going to go to hell, yes or no, without intervention. But you know what he said? But if there's one, just one, just one committed follower of a church that is alive who can talk to this boy and talk about Christ, who can change his heart, then it's possible the trajectory of this boy's life will be salvation in heaven. Yes or no? And that gripped him. And you know what? He came to the conclusion that the church is the hope of the world. Indeed. And I hope that you're seeing that. And I hope that you can see it. I hope you see it because the fact today is this. The world is dying. It's perishing in the hands of Satan and his demons. And don't be surprised where the church are dying because Satan is doing his thing so well. And the leaders of the churches are not doing what they're supposed to do. And I got so gripped and convicted. As one of the leaders of CCF, I said, Lord, if... If you want to use me, I'm willing. I'm scared. But I'm willing because I see that the only hope of the people who are hurting around is us, the church. And if we're not going to do anything about it, Satan will have a feast. The godless and self-oriented influence of the world on people has never been vicious more deadly as it is today on you and your families, yes or no? What are you gonna do about it? Well, we're part of CCF, we're being discipled, great! But you know what? I want you to be excited about what you're doing, not because for you alone, but because you and I can bring hope to this world. And that will change the way you walk, that will change the way you look at the future. And that will bring us excitement. Christian values and way of living are being eroded big time. They're being replaced with liberalism and materialism that promotes self-gratification. No moral absolutes. You know what the feeling is today, Jay? If it feels good, do it, right? That's what people do now. I'm entitled to be happy. I don't like my wife now. I need to be happy. I will change. I'll change again and again and again. Oh, that does not go only for you, husband. I don't like my husband. I'm going to change him too. Like wives, right? You know, that's the way it is. If it feels good, do it. I'm entitled to it. The end justifies the means. Let me ask you a question. Left on their own, without help. Just like that boy that Bill Heibel saw, I would like to challenge your imagination right now. And stay with me for a moment and imagine what's going to happen. Left on their own, without help. An intervention in this sick world what will happen to the marriage and families of these couples who are headed for divorce how many couples do you know today are in trouble and are headed for divorce divorce a lot right you may not admit it maybe maybe you're one and you're not you're not just ready to face it but you know this this is for you there is hope and the hope of our families is the church there's Bert and Diane. 
because one became unfaithful. They're considering divorce. They're Zach and Beth because one believes they are not compatible and meant for each other. There's Oscar and Karina because she being the main breadwinner has lost respect for Oscar who has not worked for a while. She wants now to be on her own. And what will happen to the children, the children of these married people who are going to divorce, what will happen to them, do you think? Juvenile delinquency. You know what Bill Heibel saw? And I want you to see as well. Guys, hurt people will hurt people. I'll repeat that. Hurt people will hurt people. Have you been hurt? Have you been hurt? Narivik, have you been hurt by George? I thank God that somebody intervened in the life of George that Marivik is no longer being hurt now. But if the life of George was, which was headed for the tra trajectory of hell was not changed, believe me, this hurt Marivik will begin to hurt George in return. Yes or no? Because hurt people will hurt people. And that's what we're trying to avoid. And people are wondering, you know, how come you, your discipleship method is just so one-sided? How come it just talks about me and me alone? You don't even talk about that person. No, discipleship is about you. Be Christ-like first. Be Christ-like first. Remove the hurt so that you will stop hurting others. You know what I'm saying? Hurt people will hurt people. It's a vicious cycle of hurt people hurting other people. That is the world today. And that's what we're up against. And that's why the church is hopeless, lifeless, divided, because it's made of people who are hurting and they're hurting each other without any clue on how to fix it. And the way to fix it is very simple. Again, left on their own without help and intervention, what do you think will happen to a 15-year-old guy named Benjamin who bullies other students in school? Have you, seen, have you seen bullies in school, Emilio? Oh, you don't, you know, because you're homeschooled, okay? Your dad is probably the one bullying you, okay? Never mind, okay? You know, here is, here is Benjamin who bullies other students in school. He openly disobeys and rebels and yells back at his parents who want, who want, who want to discipline him, but it's unacceptable. What do you think will happen to him three or five years from now? You know, guys, I can see children who are rebelling and disobeying their parents <sighs> like it was normal. Why? Because they're hurt and hurt people hurt people. What will happen to an 18-year-old Stella who is into alcohol and drugs, who steals money from parents and friends to support her addiction? Tragic, hopeless, seated, waiting for death and disaster to happen. That's the picture of the world. And that's the picture that God is calling us to see and change. Because the church is the hope of the future and the hope of the world. What will happen to a high IQ achiever in Richard who is so preoccupied with success and awards, who would do everything to succeed and not fail, where failure is unacceptable? What will happen to this guy? This guy, when he encounters one failure, will commit suicide. Right? Because he cannot accept failure. Wow. He looks strong, but deep inside, he's fragile and can die any moment. Trajectory? Hell. Sin. What will happen to this tyrant dad? Huh. That was me once upon a time. Who treats the members of his household as his slaves and servants. I am the only one right right here. I give you food on the table. You better follow me. Massage my back. Wow. Man. Believe me. 
If that guy will continue doing what he's doing, ask my wife. He'll put poison on the food. <laughs> hmm. What will happen to an over-controlling mother who thinks she is always right when it comes to parenting and housekeeping? Ah! You know? You see, the intention of that mother is pure and right. But she doesn't know that she's creating harm and hurt that his children will, being hurt, will in turn hurt when it comes to the future. You see the hopelessness all over the place? What will happen to this battered wife facing no relief and rest from the physical and verbal abuse of her tyrant husband? Maybe this is you. What's your hope? If I see your life trajectory, you, you probably end up in jail because you probably end up killing this husband. Possible, yeah. Or you yourself would be dead because you'll be so battered that you can be lifeless. What do you think will happen to this busina maniac? Okay? You know, I encounter this every day. Especially around here in San Gabriel Valley, believe me. What are they doing? Okay? And you know, you're not doing anything. They will look at you as if you, you did something wrong. You know what will happen to this busina maniac? If look at their life trajectory. Believe me, they can get mold and they can go into a street fight and they can even die in the future. God loves them too. But they're influenced by the, by the situation around that they have no choice except to hurt others because they're hurt. Because that's the, the world we're facing today. Who else can intervene in the tragic, in the tragic life trajectories of these people? Who else? Can the government issue a decree that all of you hopeless people, I want you to change. Otherwise, we'll penalize you by a tax. Do you think that will work, Butch? No. Okay. What about private foundation? You know, we will raise a lot of money. We will ask Edwin's company to donate millions of dollars so that we can change the hearts of people. Here's money, change your heart. Here's money, change your heart. Is that going to happen? No. What about miracle products? You know, miracle products that you will invent. I will develop a product that once they drink it, their hearts will change. Okay? Their DNA will change and they will be like George. Okay? Oh boy, oh boy, believe me, that's not going to happen. You know what? I submit to you that only Jesus can change the heart of people. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can change the heart of people as he changed yours. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can therefore change the lives of people. Only the church, I repeat, whose life trajectories have been changed can be used by Jesus to intervene in the lives of others. Say amen to that. Amen. The church has worked for you and me, right? I thank you for saying that loudly. The others are quiet. The church has worked for you, right? Yes. Guys, that's what I want you to admit. Because it did work for me. I will not be here if nobody wasted his time on me to intervene in my life trajectory. I was telling, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, a couple the other night, I was saying, if it had not been for us becoming followers of Jesus, I think Grace and I would have been separated long time ago. I think I'll be dead by now because of overdose of food. <laughs> the church has worked for you and me, right? Henry Antoinette, it worked for you, right? You know, these guys, if you know their story, how many times, Tinette? Seven times. Nine? Nine, Nine times. Nine times. Pook, pook, pook. Look at them. Amen. 
The church intervened once upon a time in our past and continues to do so now to make us more and more like Christ. Bogey, it worked for you, right? You told me that last Friday. You know, I praise God for my brother. He said, it worked for us. That's why we're bringing our ina-anak here. Because this is the only hope that they will see the secret of having hope. You know, I realize that now. And it's the vision that propelled me and keeps propelling me. I have yet to do my time with, with Bong and Deng. I promise I'll do that. But you know, God has gripped our hearts, Grace and I. And today, that's our vision. Today, we feel that we, we can do something that will impact the world. Guys, if the church that the first century God built is possible, and you believe it can happen today, will it be so difficult for you to rearrange the priorities of your life and put yourself being a hope of the world rather than pursuing yourself to be the hope of a bright future in America with all of the material things around you. Today, we are discipling people who can possibly plant a church in Sacramento. Rudy and Meng. Today, we're looking at Marnell and Chris, possibly Fresno, California. They're seeing the vision that we are the hope of the world. In San Jose, we're looking at Jack and Baby. In Los Angeles, we're looking at Oliver and Joanna. They're of a different church, but they want help. In Phoenix, we're looking at Oscar and Mel. You probably know these people. These people are beginning to catch the vision. And they said, enough is enough. We've lived long enough wasting our time. I think it's time for us to make a difference and be the hope of this world and be part of a dynamic, living, powerful, radical church that can be the hope of the world. In Manassas, Virginia, we have Rico and Irene. And you know what? We commit that CCF Los Angeles will be the sending church by developing all of us into leaders who will make a difference in this world. Amen. Say amen to that, please, with all of your heart. Amen. And if you're willing, if you're willing to rearrange your life, Jesus may be tapping at your shoulder right now because the church is the only hope of our world. Unless and until you are gripped by this vision, we will not go where we are dissatisfied from here and move to what is there. CCFLA, can we be a biblical church that will be the hope of our hurting world? They're not here. CCFLA, can we be a biblical church that will be the hope of our hurting world? Yes. Oh, you're hungry. <laughs> CCFLA, can we be a biblical church that will be the hope of our hurting world? Yes. Wow. Is, is the loving, living, powerful first century church still possible today? Yes. You're hungry. Yes. Is it still possible today? Yes. You know, let me remind you that no less than the King of Kings, Jesus, no less than the Lord of Lords, the most powerful, sovereign Lord, maker of the universe. This Jesus has only one business. He committed himself, is what? Build his church. And if that master of ours, that king of ours, is so preoccupied and single-minded to do that, guys, I cannot... I cannot understand how a person who calls himself a believer of Christ will not see that. 
I cannot understand why we cannot align ourselves to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and do what He's doing. You understand what I'm saying? If Christ is so committed to that, why can we not rearrange our lives or even cancel our plans? You know? Cancel your plans. Denise, cancel your plans. <laughs> Put God first and rearrange it so that you will be a hope of the world. If this is so, if this is the case for God, my question for us is why not we? Why not we? I want to show you a video, a short video from Bill Heibel. And I don't know how this will work. Okay. Are you ready? Watch how this plays out. The local church is the hope of the world. No, as a matter of fact, God no longer dwells here. I don't believe that joy is a possibility, that our lives are better lived in community, and that we are called to love each other radically. The truth is, the church is on the brink of extinction. I refuse to believe that we are part of a story larger than our own, and we have been chained to bring change. Don't be fooled. Poverty is too overwhelming. Racism can't be overcome, and evil will never be defeated. It's impossible for me to believe things will get better. In the future, it will be evident God can't help, and you're wrong if you believe God can. I am convinced that you can't turn things around. I would be lying if I said God cares. But you should know I believe exactly the opposite. God cares. I would be lying if I said that you can't turn things around. I am convinced God can. And you're wrong if you believe God can't help. In the future, it will be evident that things will get better. It's impossible for me to believe evil will never be defeated, racism can't be overcome, and poverty is too overwhelming. Don't be fooled. We have been changed to bring change, and we are part of a story larger than our own. I refuse to believe that the church is on the brink of extinction. The truth is that we are called to love each other radically, that our lives are better lived in community, and that joy is a possibility. I don't believe God no longer dwells here. No, as a matter of fact, the local church is the hope of the world. Ah. The local church, a biblical church is the hope of the world. You are church, the hope of the world. You and me. You spirit-filled, Christ-like church member of CCFLA. You are the hope of the world. And if God is tapping you on the shoulder right now to say to you, my focus is my church, would you be willing to rearrange your priorities and be part of this radical church can bring hope to the world. Let's pray. God, you're so amazing. Jesus, you're so focused. And Lord, we just want to thank you that you love this church so much. You love this church so much that you change its leaders. You love this church so much that you will create leaders who will be Christ-like and committed to the proposition of building your church. Because Lord, nothing, nothing can stop you from building your church. And we count it as a privilege right now, Lord, to be touched by you, to be tapped on our shoulders, to become part of a movement. Lord, in our hearts, we believe that the first century church that was radical and powerful can exist today. And it's our prayer, Lord, that you begin with us. Make every single one of us here in this, in this place, Lord, be so fired up, be so filled with the Spirit, be so gripped by that vision of seeing our lives 
intervening in the lives of others so that we can change their trajectories from hell to heaven, from hope, hopelessness to hope, from death to life. Lord, we can be that medium and we just thank you for the privilege that you're giving us. Don't allow us, Lord, to settle for the mediocre. Don't allow us to settle for the present when this present is unacceptable. Allow us to see a vibrant future. Allow us to see that we are the hope and that we are with you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.